Well, good morning, Word of Life. Come on, how are we doing? You're glad you made it to church today. I mean, today was cold. I'm just gonna say it. Those of you that are watching online today, you guys had the right idea. Um, so come on, everyone that's in here, in the house here, can we just give a big warm welcome to everyone that's watching at home? And so just to give you guys uh, an idea, around two-thirds of the people that play a part in the weekend service are watching at home. So still the majority of people are a part of Word of Life uh, at home. So I'm delighted that we've got the online service available for everybody. So so glad you guys are able to jump in, including my dad, who I know is dialed in from the UK. Hey, what's going on, dad? Um, and uh, a number of other people uh, sort of from the church have been able to jump in and let us know on the chat that they're around. So, so glad about that. But uh, anyone else's house in full Christmas swing? Anybody else, your house is full Christmas mode. Mine is, I've got three kids under 10, so you best believe my house is full Christmas swing, and uh, I'm going to tell you, I love Christmas. I'm not a Scrooge. I love Christmas. I love Christmas music. I love all the food that comes out this time of year. I love having a tree up in the house. I love listening to Christmas music and watching Christmas movies. Uh, you know, Christmas music. Anybody love, like, cheesy Christmas music? Like, not, like, dignified, like, Frank Sinatra or Michael Bublé, like, cheesy Christmas music. Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, oh, thank God there's some of you here, my people. Um, I mean, my favorite Christmas song is Little St. Nick by the Beach Boys. Boys. <laughs> well, away up north where the air gets cold, there's a tale about Christmas that you've all been told. I'm going to stop. I wasn't expecting a round of applause, but it means a lot. Wow. Okay. Will you guys tell Megan I'm a good singer because she says something different, but I'm going to move on. But you know, in the middle of Christmas, you know, as a believer, I, you know, I, I love all the stuff. I'm not a Scrooge that's anti the stuff, but it is a, you know, it did start as a faith event. There is the faith in the moment of the birth of Jesus is what we're celebrating and everything else has kind of been added around it. You know, and I attempt to sort of live a life of faith with Jesus at the focus, with Jesus in the middle of it. And then we come to this Christmas season, it, it really just kind of got, caused me to think and really kind of get, you know, my, my mind rolling today as I came to share something with you, uh, you know, as we get into this Christmas season. And I started to think, you know, the Christmas, if we were going to boil it down, if we were going to say this is what the message of Christmas is, if I could be as simple as possible, I would just say it is the fulfillment of a promise. It is the fulfillment of a promise. It is a promise that God made to humanity that I'm going to fix this up. And you guys can't fix it up yourself, so I'm going to become humanity to fix it up for you. And that promise, as we look at, you know, whether it's pictures of uh, shepherds, you know, with angels coming to give the good news, or whether it's wise men looking at a star so they could go to Bethlehem and worship, or whether it's a picture of the stable with the manger, all of it paints this picture of a fulfilled promise from God that I'm going to come, I'm going to send my son, and we're going to fix this whole thing up. In essence, that is the message of Christmas. That is what Christmas is all about. I love all the stuff. I love the Beach Boys. I'm going to be listening to Last Christmas all the way through December. But when it's all said and done, it's this message of God fulfilling his promises. And I've, I've shared this with you before, but if I was going to give a, a good working definition of the word faith, and there are many out there, but this is the one that hits me uh, the best is that faith is believing in and committing to a promise. Faith is believing in and committing to a promise. And so living a life of faith means living a life where, where promises have been made and you're believing and committing to the, the belief and the trust that they are being kept. Is the promises that are unveiled and we're living in the process of these promises being fulfilled and being completed and God is working to fulfill the promises that he has made to his people. Promises that are both temporary, here on earth, here and now, your everyday life, my everyday life, but also in the scope of eternity, the promises that God has made. 
But it's, uh, I wrote this down, and this was helpful for me, and I'll share it with you. The difference between current reality and God's promise is why we need faith. If faith is believing and committing to a promise, then when there's a deficit between what we're experiencing every day and the promises of God, that deficit is why faith counts. So your your everyday circumstances, you may be in situations right now, you may be in a circumstance, life may look very, very unfair for you. It may be tough, there may be challenges right now. I know that 2020 has been a year where that has been the story of many, many people. This may be your everyday reality. This may be what you're experiencing every morning. And the promises of God are up here. And sometimes this deficit is small and sometimes it's big, but no matter what it is, this is why faith counts. This is why believing and committing to the promises, what faith is all about, what it really is. There are times when our faith is stretched. There are times when our faith is tested. There's times where we really have to evaluate things and take things seriously. But this question of faith between what we're experiencing and the promises of God and the trust that God is fulfilling his promises. That's what faith is all about. That's what living a life of faith is all about is because our current everyday circumstances do not look like the promises of God fulfilled. But every Christmas, we can look to a manger and we can remind ourselves and we can remind the world around us that he is in the business of fulfilling his promises and he will keep his word. Amen? That is the message of Christmas. And today I titled this message, The Christmas Preview. The Christmas preview, and we're going to look at uh, the events. It's only recorded in Luke's gospel, and we're going to get there in just a moment. But we're going to look at uh, the pre-story. Before we get to the birth of Jesus, what we're all familiar with this time of year especially, before we get to that, Luke tells us the story of the preview of before you get to the life of Jesus, and he talks about the birth of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, as many of you who've read, uh, spent time reading the New Testament all know, his job, his mission, his ministry was all about preparing people for Jesus. And the way that Luke tells the story is that just as an adult, John the Baptist would prepare the way. He would preach before Jesus came, before Jesus started speaking, teaching, doing miracles and fulfilling ministry. John was there telling people, get your lights right with God, get your hearts right with God. And we see Luke using this illustration, using this idea as babies. That John the Baptist was born a few months prior to Jesus. And what I want to tell you today, that there are some things that we can see from the birth of John the Baptist that I believe this Christmas season are going to encourage you as we try to live as people of faith, believing and committing to promises. So are we good to start looking at John the Baptist today? We're going to be okay? Well, let's start. Luke 1, 65. So this is Luke telling the story uh, of John the Baptist's birth, and after he's told the story, so this is, you know, he tells the story of all the circumstances around John the Baptist being born, what happened to his mom, what happened to his dad, all the stuff. It says this in verse 65, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. So this is what was said after we hear about the birth of John the Baptist. This is what we're told is that what happened as John the Baptist was born, all the circumstances, all the situation around it, it was enough to get the whole neighborhood talking. What went down was enough to get everybody interested. It spread like wildfire all through the Judean hills. People wanted to know, hold on, what happened with that baby that was born again? And the story spread like wildfire. So what was it about that story that made it so captivating, that made it spread like wildfire, that got people interested, that caused people to start asking questions, that caused this message to spread? So we're going to dig in. We're going to dial back a few verses. So we're in Luke 1, 
starting in verse five. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Luke one, verse five. The words are gonna be on the screen otherwise. But I'm gonna give you a fair warning now. We're gonna walk through a decent chunk of Bible. So is that okay with everybody, a, a good chunk of Bible? Turn to your neighbor and say, I love me a good chunk of Bible. All righty, Luke 1, starting verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Now let me pause here for a moment. Uh, a few weeks ago, we spent a long time talking about the priesthood and how it had become corrupt. Luke makes sure that we know this guy, Zechariah, is one of the good guys. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah, your translation might say uh, Zacharias, but uh, the same person, it's just a different translation in different translations of the English Bible. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, it's careful to note here that in this time, the idea of not being to have children in a very two-dimensional, very cruel attitude that many people had, especially the religious people, was that if you couldn't have children, it was a curse of God because you did something terrible, awful, and sinful. And Luke here is careful to tell us, like, no, these were good people. Their heart was for God. They were kingdom-minded. They put him first. He mattered to them. They took their relationship with God seriously. They took faith seriously. One day, Zechariah was serving in the temple. Remember, he's a priest. For his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. This seems to be the typical response of encountering an angel like this in the Bible. Think Gideon, think the shepherds when the angel comes to them, think about the ladies when they go to the empty tomb, they see the angel. Uh, this is not some chubby baby with a harp. <laughs> this is something that when Zechariah meets this guy, it's like, hold on, what are we up to here? Driving fear into him, typical biblical response. But the angel said, verse 13, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. This is a, uh, an Old Testament uh, you know, culture that would happen about people that took a special Nazarite vow. Samson did the same, so did Samuel. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, and he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, as the life of John the Baptist proceeds, there are some that mistake this being in the power and the authority and in the spirit of Elijah as some kind of reincarnation. That's not what it's talking about, but it's really the same uh, you know, office that Elijah had. And if you were to look at the life of Elijah in the Old Testament, if nothing else, Elijah started something. If you look at the life of Elijah, he was the first of the prophets that would spend hundreds of years teaching the people of Israel and Judah to turn their hearts back to God. Elijah started something. He was a man of great honor. He was a man of miracles. He was a man of great faith. But Elijah started something. And when, the Bible, when it talks about here what we've just read, that John the Baptist is in the same spirit as Elijah, what it's talking about is that he is going to be used to start something. Moving on, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this is happening? 
I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Again, this is so typical in the Bible of when God comes to somebody, the somebody is very quick and sure to tell them why they are the wrong person. Think Abraham, think Moses, think Gideon, think Isaiah, think Jeremiah. You got the wrong guy. Verse 19, the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. Now, this seems like a punishment, but we'll come back to this in a little while. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. It was customary when the priest did the duty that Zechariah was doing, that they would leave, come out, and they would pronounce a blessing over the people. So the people are waiting for him to come and say something. Problem is, the angel had other ideas. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. This is probably about a day's travel from where he was in Jerusalem. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went in seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Quick side note, would you love to have just watched this guy try to explain to his wife what had all gone down and he's not able to speak? What pictures is he drawing over here? Anyway... Verse 57, jumping down a few, uh, a few passages. Verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to, uh, to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came out for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed, there is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, which is essentially like a wooden board that was covered in wax that you would use to write things out and you know, communicate as best as possible. And at everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and they began praising God. And this is the verse we already read a few moments ago. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. There's no wonder people are talking. I mean, there's an angel turning up, giving promises. There's, uh, you know, Zechariah who's afraid, he's in doubt, feeling insecure. I mean, he's being made a promise and he's like, I don't know if I'm the guy to live up to this promise. There's an old priest that can't speak until the baby is born. I mean, it's no wonder that people were talking about all that had gone down. But there's a number of things here as you think about this. Uh, you know, if Christmas truly is about the fulfillment of a promise or remembering that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. I believe there are four things, and there might be more, but there are four that I was able to uh, lift out this week that I believe are going to teach us about what it means to live with the promises of God at our focus and what we're thinking on and what we're believing for and what we're praying for and what we are committed to as people of faith. Four things. Are we all ready? Are we feeling okay? Everyone so far so good? All righty. First thing is God's promises exceed expectations. God's promises exceed expectations. You know, when we first make that decision to follow God, when we first make that decision, you know what, I'm gonna make Jesus the Lord of my life, we're essentially saying that I believe your promise of salvation and I'm committing to live my life trusting in that promise and make you Lord of my life. That's essentially what we're saying. I, I come to a point where I believe you are who you say you are. 
and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live with you as Lord of my life. I'm going to trust your promise. I'm committing to it. That's essentially what happens when we all make a decision to become a Christian. And how many of you in here found that God has exceeded your expectations? I mean, it's a long story, but you know there's a story when you've got some British guy who met some girl who's from Montana. They met in Sydney, Australia, got married, and now they're living in central New York. God exceeds expectations. Come on, somebody. But Luke 1, verse 8, we read this a few moments ago. One day Zechariah was serving in the temple, uh, serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now, let me just back up and break this down a little bit. There's some history in this that's really helpful to get us to understand this idea that God exceeds expectations of promises. So the order, or another translation may say a division, was, among, uh, was one of 24 groups of priests that took turns tending to the temple. And these orders or these divisions, they would rotate doing one week at a time. We read that in the verses. And so essentially around twice a year, um, plus the major festivals, they would travel to the temple, perform their uh, priestly duties, and then return home. And there were hundreds or possibly thousands of priests who were on duty at any one time. And only one needed to go and burn the incense. So they cast lots, and some of you may be aware of this if you uh, know the Old Testament well, but casting lots was one of the ways they would uh, sort of settle disagreements or help make decisions. We don't know exactly what they're like, but it's a fair assumption to think it was something like dice. So you'd throw the dice to try and, you know, Lord, you're in control of the dice. Uh, You know, sort of we cast the lots, but the Lord determines the outcome is what it says in Proverbs. This idea of let's throw the dice and believe that the Lord is working and how that's going to move. And that's how we're going to make decisions on things. Uh, Quick side note, there's no record in the Bible of anyone throwing dice after the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. That's another message for another day. But at this point, they're throwing dice and it's determined that uh, that Zechariah is going to be the priest that's going to go in. And this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for a priest. There are priests that will have gone their whole lives doing their priestly duties that never would have been chosen to go in to the holy place and perform this task. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So uh, inside the holy place within the temple, um, there was a menorah, uh, similar to what we would see many people celebrating Hanukkah right now. So you've got the candlesticks burning, uh, and then you've also got a place where you would have uh, 12 loaves of bread called the showbread, and then you would have the incense burner, and then beyond that, you would have the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was something that one priest went into. It was the high priest one time a year on the Day of Atonement, um, one time a year. Uh, and so here we have the table of, in, the, of the incense, the altar of incense. And let me put it this way. This is the closest to the Holy of Holies that Zechariah will ever get. The high priesthood had become corrupt. This was as close as a man of God could get to the Holy of Holies. And he stood there. This is what he expected his legacy to be. This is what he is anticipating people to be talking about him after he has passed. You remember Zechariah lived three doors down? Yeah, he got to go into the holy place and deal with the incense. He was this close to the Holy of Holies. And his expectation of God's promises being fulfilled is that he would get to do this really special, highly honored task, but God hijacked it with other ideas. Zachariah's big moment was hijacked by the angel coming in, and he thought he was going to be remembered for doing this duty, but instead the angel comes and makes him a promise that is so outlandish and so outrageous that it superseded this moment in ways that he could never ever imagine. 
The man about whom Jesus said this, about John the Baptist, the son that was promised to Zechariah that day, Jesus said, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. That was the son that was promised to Zechariah that day by the angel. The greatest man to ever have lived. God's promises exceed expectations. Um, we've seen the example from Zacharias. He's expecting this special priestly duty, but instead he gets the angel and told that he's going to have the greatest son that the world has ever known come to be his child. I could tell you about examples from my life, but I would really appreciate it. A little bit of participation. If you have had God exceed your expectations, could you please put your hands together, make some noise, scream if you have to, online, type amen. If you've had God exceed your expectations. Because people need to know. I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to get up here and say things like God exceeds expectations. But when you hear from the people around you, you can put this in the bank. God exceeds expectations. God's promises exceed expectations. I'm moving on to the second thing. God's promises are worth the journey. God's promises are worth the journey. The angel is saying, don't be afraid. I'm here to answer um, prayers. I'm here to bring joy. I'm here to bring uh, gladness. But Zechariah is terrified. Absolutely terrified. And this is the typical response of people in the Bible. And as he hears about having a baby in old age, his head must have gone to Abraham. This is a man that knew the Bible. His head must have gone to Abraham, another man in his old age that was promised a child, was promised a son. His head must have gone there. And in response, I'm not as good as Abraham. So we have this fear, we have doubt, and I would also say I think there's a bunch of insecurity here as he's evaluating Abraham, who at this time was known as the father of the faith. I'm no Abraham. I mean, I'm, I'm honored to be in here doing this whole like, you know, incense thing, like I feel good about it, but I'm no Abraham. And when the promise and the reality don't match, that's when his faith was tested. The reality was, he is somebody that's scared, that's filled with doubt, that is filled with insecurity. And the promise of you're gonna have a son that is gonna change the world, that insecurity boiling up, that fear boiling up, and that's when his faith was tested. Here's the present reality. Here's the promise of God. And he finds himself on a journey to seeing that promise realized. I want to share with you um, a story about some friends of mine, uh, Scott and Becky. And we have a picture of Scott and Becky right here that we'd love to show you. So there's Scott, Becky, and that little baby boy. His name's Tate, and he is a legend. I haven't met him yet, uh, but he is a couple of months old right now. And Scott and Becky were a wonderful couple that uh, Megan and I worked with uh, at a former church. And they're just the best of the best. They're just lovely people. They're the kind of people that you really want to join with you to build a church. They're just lovely people. Becky was on staff with me uh, at the church, and her husband worked great um, work with me in the youth ministry. Just excellent couple. And as they'd been married for quite a while, they wanted to have a baby. If I get through this without crying, I deserve some kind of medal. But they wanted to have a baby. And there were medical problems and medical reasons why that became difficult for them. You've seen Tate. I showed you the picture, and I did that deliberately beforehand because you know that this is a happy ending. You know it's a happy ending, but the journey, <laughs> there were some dark moments for this wonderful couple. There were miscarriages that they had. There were doctors telling them over and over again, it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. You have to give up on this dream. 
And because of my role at the church as a pastor and as a friend to these two, I got to be with them as they had not just one, but two private adoptions fall through. And the heartbreak that these guys went through, that they went through, trying to figure out, God, you've made us promises. We're trusting you. We believe in you. We love you. We're living our lives for you. And your promises seem a million miles away. And they just kept going and kept going. It wasn't easy. And when I got the text message, hey, guess what? We're pregnant. Please be praying. They've never said this to me, but I can only imagine that if they'd been through what they'd been through with miscarriages and having their hopes built up before, that there would be this level of caginess around it. And we prayed and we prayed. And honestly, that baby, the day he was born, it was no picnic. (laughs) There was crisis. There was emergency C-sections. Oh my gosh, but he's here. He's here. And you know, this wonderful couple, they wouldn't tell you that the journey was easy. But now that they're on the other side, they would tell you that it was worth it to get where they are right now with a beautiful baby boy who's doing great. And you know, you right now, you might not be out through the the other side of this. You might be in the middle. You might be walking through it. And I don't don't know how this is all going to work out, but I'll stand with you in faith and I'll stand with you in belief. God is faithful to his promises. And if nothing else, this Christmas... That's something that I want to remember is that God is faithful to his promises. And there's something about the journey that brings me to my third point. Something about the journey that means that God's promises changes your heart. I'm going to quickly take a drink. Something about God's promises that changes your heart. See, Scott and Becky, they wouldn't say that the journey was easy. They, wouldn't, they, would, they would be very, very quick to tell you that there were some very dark, very gloomy, very difficult times, but they made it through. God got them through. And in the process, what I think we can see here from Zechariah is that this process causes you to change your heart. Luke, uh, Luke 1, verse 20. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, this is the angel talking, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. And on the surface, this appears like a simple punishment, like a smack on the hand. But I think if we take it in a different light and we look at it differently, remembering that when Zechariah gets home, uh, Elizabeth goes into seclusion, the Bible says, for five months. And perhaps he spent that time with her in seclusion, in silence. You know, but, uh, but you know, he started this time of silence in the holy place, in the temple, with the angel talking to him. He is filled with fear, doubt, insecurity. Suddenly, he enters into a season of silence. And when the baby is born, he starts to speak. Now remember the words of Jesus, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Zechariah reveals the change of heart that took place. Baby's born. Zechariah can talk again. And this is what he says. This is revealing what came out of his heart. It's not insecurity. It's not fear. It's not doubt. This is what Zechariah said, Luke 1, 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave this prophecy. This is after months of God dealing with uh, doubt, fear, insecurity, and silence. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. 
He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through the holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up, became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry. Now, from what we just read, and I know it is a long, lengthy piece of scripture, there is not a hint of fear. There is not a hint of doubt or insecurity because for five months of silence, God was doing a work in Zechariah's heart so that when finally he was able to speak again, what came out of him wasn't fear, doubt, intimidation, concern that he wasn't good enough. Instead, what came was, God, you are amazing. God, you keep your promises. God, you've got good things in store for my son. A change on the inside took place just like we can see from Joseph in the prison cell in the book of Genesis, just like we can see from Daniel in the lion's den, just like we see from Paul as he's in shipwrecks, and just like so many of you here today, and you've been in those tough moments, just like Scott and Becky, waiting for this deficit to close. God has done a work in your heart, and you get through the other side, changed, transformed, full of faith, full of confidence that he is true to his word. This brings me to the fourth thing. God's promises get the neighbor's attention. God's promises get the neighbor's attention. If God is moving in your life, people will not be able to miss it. God's promises in the Bible expand beyond just your house. I remember the verses that we started out with today. Verse, 35, uh, verse 65, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. God's promises for Zechariah, and I believe the same is true for us, exceed expectations. God's promises are worth the journey. The journey may be tough, but God's promises, seeing God fulfill them in your life is worth the journey. And God's promises transform your heart, changes your perspective, changes your attitude, changes what you care about, changes what you value, changes what you get mad about, changes what brings you joy. God's promises as they're working out in your life as this deficit is shrinking, transforms the heart. And when they start to be fulfilled, you can bet that they will get the neighbor's attention. I've got a couple of questions for you. Now, I hope this is helpful, but maybe this week you'll have a chance to reflect on this a little bit, pray through it, start to consider what this means to you. But the first one is this, how is your heart changing as you prepare to see promises fulfilled? And that's a little bit of a mouthful. But how is your heart changing as you prepare to see promises fulfilled? See, Zachariah's heart was transformed. He went from fear, doubt, insecurity to 
declaring that incredible prophetic word that is very similar in style and power as what we read in the Old Testament prophets. That's how his heart was transformed. How is God transforming your heart as he prepares you to see in these promises fulfilled? And the second question, what will the neighbors say? What will the neighbors say? Are people observing God moving in your life? Are you letting people know about your journey? How are you sharing your stories of breakthrough? How are you sharing your stories of you're in the middle of the struggle, but you're believing that God is gonna come true to his word, that God is gonna come true to his promises? What will the neighbors say? And let's remember, this is what Zechariah said. I'm not gonna read the whole portion, but I wanna hit on a couple of things that Zechariah said as he declared, as John the Baptist was born, as his son was born, the son that was promised in the temple by an angel while he's terrified, Fast forward five months, having God done a work in his heart and the neighbors can't believe what is going on. Zechariah tells us that now we can serve God without fear for as long as we live, that we can find salvation through the forgiveness of our sins, that we will experience the mercy of God and that he will guide us on the path of peace. This is what it is to follow God without fear, to living in forgiveness, knowing that those things that have distanced you from God is, is done, is done, it's over with, it's dealt with. You can receive forgiveness from God. You can live in his mercy and you can live on the path of peace. That as you live with your focus on the promises of God, on, on the commitment and the belief that his promises are true and they're for you, this, I'll believe with you, I'll pray with you, that we start to see deficits shrink and we'll start to see people walking in the fulfilled promises of God. And this Christmas, every time you see manger, baby, fulfilled promise. Every time someone sings a Christmas carol, fulfilled promise. Every time you see some artwork where you've got shepherds or wise men, fulfilled promise. Fulfilled promise. You know, you may be here today and this may be your first time at Word of Life Church or maybe your first time in any church. You may have been here every week. But as we're talking about living in the promise of God, you might sort of hear that and think to yourself, okay, well, God is kind of out there somewhere and there's promises and well, okay, I guess that's fine. I wanna tell you that God doesn't have to be out there somewhere. You can have a close, intimate, real, dynamic relationship with the creator of the universe. And you might say, that sounds too good to be true. Yeah, I know. And yet it is. And for 2,000 years, people's lives have been changed because it is true. And they've experienced that truth. And they place their confidence in Him. And people have committed and believed that that is the promise of God, is that we can know Him. When Jesus came, He didn't just stay a baby. He grew up, became a man, taught us a better way to live, taught us about a kingdom that he was establishing. And he told us that I want you to be a part of it, so much so that I'll die for you. I'll take a punishment that you deserve, but you don't qualify to take. We celebrate that as Easter. It was true 2,000 years ago and it's true today. That when people look at that empty tomb and they see victory, lives change. And my friend, you may be here today and you may not be following God. If I was to ask you one-on-one -on -one in a conversation, are you following God? You might get real uncomfortable 
It might be an awkward conversation, but if you were honest, you'd have to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not. I believe in God, but I, I'm not following him in any meaningful way. I'm not, I'm not you know, my, I don't live a life of faith. I don't believe, and I'm not committed to those promises of God. I, my friend, I wanna let you know that you can start today. The only qualification is you believe. And if you believe, you are out of excuses for waiting another day. This is the perfect moment for you to decide, I'm gonna follow God. I'm gonna live a life of faith. And our promise to you as a church is that we'll help you figure out one foot in front of the other. If this isn't the right church for you, we'll be honored to help you find a church that's gonna be a great place for you to do awesome. But I'm gonna pray in just a moment for anybody that wants to make that decision for the first time today, or maybe you made the decision a while ago and you wanna rekindle that fire. I wanna ask everyone here to close your eyes and bow your heads. This just gives some discretion to the people around you so that we can focus on what really matters right now. And I want you to be honest. And if you wanna to start today, if you wanna start this journey of following God, I'd love to pray for you. And we're not gonna do anything to embarrass you. We're not gonna do anything weird. But in a moment when we pray, I'd love to know who I'm praying for. So if you could just put your hand up just for a moment so I can see that's you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you. Come on, who else today? There's no good reason to wait, I promise. Amen. Anybody else? Thank you. At home, if this is for you, click the button that says, I raised my hand. If you're here in the building, just put your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for today. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad we waited for you. Thank you. Anybody else? Amen. Come on. Anybody else here today? Amen. A word of life, church. There's been a wonderful response to this message, wonderful response to the call to come and follow Jesus. So I want you to put your hands together at home, celebrate with us. People making the best decision they could ever make today. We're gonna pray a prayer. The words are on the screen. I wanna invite you to pray along with me. And if you're here today and you're a believer at home, if you're watching and you're a believer, I want you to pray this with us, believing that somebody's life is gonna be changed because they have the courage to pray a prayer like this. So come on, everybody, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, one more time, let's celebrate.